We are going through the book of Philippians, and last week we kind of kicked it off a little bit out in the park. And so first off, I'm going to say thank you to everybody that came out to the park in the 105 degree heat index. You guys are troopers and are amazing, so thank you for that. Um, But we talked about Philippians. Paul really talks about joy. He talks about having joy. And he talks about the keys to having joy. And he talks about how joy is the enemy of anxiety. That joy and anxiety combat one another. And what we give ourselves to will eventually take over the other. And so what we're doing for the next several weeks is we're talking about how to increase our joy so we can decrease our anxiety. Raise your hand if you've struggled, do, or have struggled with anxiety. Let me see your hand. All right, so turn to your neighbor and say, this is for you. Because what we're going to learn today is that humility is a key to conquering anxiety. Humility is a key to conquering anxiety. When Paul writes this letter, the flip. Philippians, he writes it to the church in Philippi. Now, we've been introduced to the church of Philippi in Acts chapter 16. So this letter to this congregation in the city of Philippi isn't new to us. In fact, in Acts chapter 16, Luke records that there was a lady there by the name of Lydia. Lydia was an extremely successful businesswoman and wealthy, and she was a part of the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi was extremely diverse because The city of Philippi was a cosmopolitan city, and it had a lot of various people coming in and out. And so within the church at Philippi, in Acts chapter 16, we find that not only did they have Lydia, who was an extremely successful businesswoman, but they had slaves that attended their church. They had Greeks, non-Jews, that attended their church. They had Roman soldiers that attended their church. And so they had a mix both racially, culturally, economically. And the amazing thing about the body of Christ is that whether you're Lydia and you're an extremely successful businesswoman and CEO running your own company or you're a slave, you can come in and worship together and everybody's equal. Amen? That's the beauty of the body of Christ, that the lawyer can sit next to the homeless man and worship God together. That it doesn't matter our backgrounds, it doesn't matter our income, it doesn't matter our race, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we come together and we glorify God and give God the praise, the glory, and the honor for who we are. And so what we're going to do is we're starting Philippians chapter 2. If you got your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, we will start there, and it'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says this, Therefore... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And so what he's saying, he says, when I think about your church, I think about the humility, and I think about the oneness and the like-mindedness of how you put other people first, that you don't think of yourself first. 
One of the things, and we're going to do this in just a few minutes, that anxiety does is that it elevates your issues and your problems and your concerns. What about, what about this? Oh, my gosh, I need to have money to pay this bill, and I don't know where the money's going to come from to pay for the kids' school supplies. And, 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 we, and we start to create this environment about my problems and my issues. But Paul says, I'm glad and thankful that in your humility, you put others first. Here's what I can tell you, that when I have put other people first, I don't have time to think about my issues. When I put other people first, I don't have time to think about my issues. Because I value people, other people, I value them more than I value myself. He says, my joy is complete because I know you're in unity and you're humbly putting the other person first, walking together as a body. You're putting each other first. You say, well, then how are my needs going to get met if I don't take care of them? Well, therein lies the problem. You see yourself as the provider, not God. And anxiety elevates me. I got to take care of this. I got to do this. I have to, what about this? What about that? Anxiety is worry on steroids. Some of you need to write that down. Worry is short-lived, it's quick, I'm in it, and I'm over it. Anxiety extends on and on and on and eventually will lead into depression and you can't get things done. And so anxiety is worry just stretched out. And as worry stretches out, it begins to grow into anxiety. And Paul, I'm sorry, not Paul, Solomon gives us an antidote which is similar to Paul's humility in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. In Proverbs 11.25, King Solomon says this. He says, be generous and you will prosper. Help others and you will be helped. See, I think the reason that we can't get joy, the reason that we struggle with maintaining joy is because we're constantly chasing our own happiness. Now, you remember last week I said happiness and joy are two different things. Happiness is momentary. When you're at the concert, you're happy. When it's your birthday and everybody's like, you know, giving you money and stuff, at some point that stops, right? But you're happy. But then when it's over, you're looking for the next fix. You're looking for the next ball game, the next concert, the next drink, the next thing to make you happy again. And what are you doing? You're elevating your happiness and totally ignoring this whole concept of joy that the Bible talks about. Joy's long-lasting. Remember last week we said that joy comes from having a single mind, right? So when I have, what steals my joy is when I have a mind that's thinking about that and thinking about that and 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 that. And last week we talked about that a single mind, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, a single mind is how does God get the glory? That's all I care about. How does, when I go to the store to get my children's, school supplies that I barely have money for, how does God get the glory in that? Is it that I tell the lady that's checking me out that I'll be praying for her or for him? Is it that, you know what? Thank God that I had the money to get it. Oh, I I only got a dollar left, but God gets the glory and the testimony because he provided for me. The Paul's single-mindedness says it doesn't matter what I go through, God's getting the glory every single time. Every single time. 
He's like, that's how I have joy. I have a single mind that Christ gets the glory in this. That's all that matters. Doesn't matter what happens to me. Doesn't matter what happens to my kids or my job. God gets the glory. And many of you have been laid off before and wondering how in the world you're ever going to make it. And God provided. I know. Because I've talked to you guys. Because that's part of, you know, pastor's job. Right? I know that. God provides. But as long as we keep being self-centered and trying to search out for our happiness, we'll never have joy. Because happiness comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes. We have to seek joy. And so Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he goes, it brings me joy to know that you're humble enough putting one another first and thinking of other people. Humility is the glue of unity. Humility is the glue of unity. If we're going to have unity in our homes, if we're going to have unity on the job, if we're going to have unity in the church, then we think of others first and we put other people first. We're unified on a single goal and a single cause. The single cause of our church, the river, is to see other people come to a a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. How do we do that? Well, we go in and we try to transform someone's life. We try to renew hope and then together pursue God. So when you see the river and you see transform, renew, pursue, that's what that's all about. And so that's how we do what God has called us to do. Here's how teams, here's how functional teams, not dysfunctional, here's how functional teams work. Every member of the functional team knows they have a weakness. I'm not good in this area, right? You can ask our church leadership team and they'll say, pastor's not good in that area. And so I rely, I rely on the strengths of our team. I look at my teammates and say, your strength is my weakness, and so that makes us a team. I don't look at the team and the people that have strengths where I'm weak. I don't look at them and get jealous or envious or frustrated. I say, "Mm -mm, I've got to have that. I'll give you a prime example. I'm I'm going to just kind of pull the curtain back on Ben a little bit up here as he leads worship. Ben is an eight on the Enneagram. You can go later. It's a personality type test. He's an eight. He's confrontational, and he's going to speak his mind. Okay? I am a nine. I'm the dude about harmony and peace. Don't ruffle my feathers. If you do, I just go maverick on you, and I'll go do my own thing and block you out and what, ignore you. Right? I'm not confrontational. I can be, but I'm not really. I'm coming like, hey, how you doing? Right? And I realize that Ben's strength is my weakness, and so I don't get mad or jealous or envious. I go, I need a guy on the team that's going to confront stuff. Well, I'm going, hmm, I got to think about this first. Right? And so a team is successful when they view each other's strengths as a positive. That's a functional team. That's humility working together. And so when you begin to do with others and come in unity with other people that are like-minded and have a single-mindedness, that removes 
that begins to chip away, if you will, at anxiety. Because I know that even though I'm anxious about all this, I can go and serve these people and they'll understand me and they'll love me anyway. And we can work together. Think about that. We can work together. I'm surrounded by people. The people, the people on my job, I don't know if they have the same interests in mind because they're trying to climb the corporate ladder too and it's dog eat dog, right? But if when I'm going to come to church, we can, we can work together. We can care for one another. Yeah, your personality is different than mine, but I know at the end of the day, we're all on the same page because we have the same mission. We're single-minded, same purpose, right? And so joy comes, Paul says, joy comes from humbly walking with others. Where else out there do you humbly walk with others? Sports teams, to an extent, because you have to yield to your teammates to an extent, but at the end of the day, you still want to be better than your teammate. It's called competition. So it's not on sports teams. I know it's not in the workforce. I've worked there, right? I know it's not in other places. It's just not. It's the church. It's the body of Christ. This is why church is the most important thing on the planet because God said, I'm going to use this structure and this thing to impact the world. There is no greater cause. None. None. And so working together humbly, and I've spent a lot of time on that because he says in verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of and of one mind. This is why people who don't attend church will get in church and then get out of church and they notice their anxiety start to go up because we're humbly serving and walking together and supporting one another and praying for one another. And there should be less anxiety in the church than there is outside in the world. Jack Hayford said this, humility is an attitude of unselfish concern for the welfare of others. Humility is an attitude of unselfish concern for the welfare of others, Jack Hayford, putting other people first. And Paul then moves on in chapter 2, and he gives us like the supreme example of humility. So let's go on in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, and he says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, again, when you're reading your Bible and you see Christ Jesus instead of Jesus Christ, that is a directional power flow. What I mean by that is this. When you read Christ Jesus, it's coming from heaven, Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, the earthly man. And so this is flowing from heaven to earth. When you read Jesus Christ, it's coming from earth to heaven. There's no mistake that Paul, when he writes, he puts Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. It's intentional. And so he says, from heaven to earth, the mindset, you got to get the mindset of heaven for this to work. He says, who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, if we had the opportunity to be equal with God, we probably would use it to our own advantage. Now, look at your neighbor and say, shame on you. <laughs> look at your other neighbor and say, I'm trying to be like Jesus, not to use it to my advantage. But he says in, uh, in verse 
8, and being found, I'm sorry, go back up to verse 7, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what Jesus did. He says, I'm giving up my control here in heaven, and we will never fully on this earth fully grasp everything that he gave up. And he said, I'm going to go down, and I'm going to go in as a human, and I'm going to go in, and I'm going to go as a baby, and I'm going to mess up my diaper, and I'm going to have to learn to talk, and I'm going to have to learn to walk, and I'm going to have to study math, and I'm going to have to study science, and I'm going to have to learn how to read, and I'm going to have to go through everything that a human goes through. So I'm giving up all of this power and all this ability to become like one of them, to get in the fire, if you will, with humanity. To experience what they experienced. Paul says, he, he puts this in Philippians chapter 2, because there's not a greater example of humility in all of humanity. He says, I'm giving all of this up. I could simply blink my eyes or say a word or think it and wipe out everything that even exists in the physical realm. But I'm going to give it all up to go through and walk through that with them. And every human being has a purpose and an identity. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you to, to prosper you, to give you hope and a future and to not, not to harm you. Right? And so he goes in with us. Let me, let me give you an example of this. And I got some guys here today from the fire department. And some of you will, will understand this. But this is my chaplain's helmet. So, en route to a scene, we have on the back of this, there's a piece of Velcro, and I have two name tags. It says T. Priest on it. When I show up to a scene, I tear one of these off, and I go to the truck that has the board on it, and I put my name on that board so they know that I'm on scene. So, if something happens... They know I'm there, and I didn't just show up, go, go in, and start doing whatever, right? So don't worry. I don't go into buildings. I'm the touchy-feely person that sits outside. I don't have the guts to walk into that stuff. Um, so I sit outside and help the families, talk to the families, try to keep them out of the hair of the guys trying to do the work, what have you. But they know I go, and I check in, and I say, I'm here. And when I do that, I can see everybody else has checked in and it's fighting the fire or helping uh, the family or what have you. And so what I say is, I'm here. I'm one of you. I'm doing my work. I'm doing my job. Jesus came in to humanity and said, I'm here. I'm doing my job. I'm here to do what I was called and meant to do. By pointing us the way out of the fire. Get out of this thing. I don't know if you've noticed earth as a building. It's burning. <laughs> it's on fire. It, it, let, me, let me just, humanity one-on-one, we're in trouble. Right? 
So I show up and I say, I'm here. I'm here to do my job. And what do I do? As a chaplain, I yield to the authority of whoever is in command on scene. And so if they need me to go talk to this person, they need me to deliver water to the guys coming out of the building, if they need me, whatever I need to do. Some of these guys struggle with PTSD. What if PTSD kicks in on, the, on, on scene? That's my job. Take care of it. So I do whatever is needed. I humble myself for the good of the team and everybody else. I do what it takes, and I don't put myself first. Anxiety says, I got to put myself first. I got to get mine. I got to get mine. And Jesus said, I don't need to get mine. I need to go in and rescue those people. And so that's humility. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 27, Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 27, Jesus says this, therefore I tell you, here we go again, do not worry about your life. Thanks. Don't you like it when you're, in a, when you're anxious and worried or whatever? And somebody goes, just don't be anxious. Don't worry about it. And you're like, yeah, whatever. Right? And you probably think some other things that I'm not allowed to say to them. And he says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. But again, as Amy said earlier, Jesus will tell you the problem and he'll give you an answer to it. Or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So then he gives us an example. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He's like, I've put reminders all around you that I'm going to take care of you. He's like, worst case scenario, look out your window and look at the robins. I'm taking care of them. They're not concerned. How much more important are you than that bird? Right? He's like, I've put examples around you to remind you of that. I think sometimes we get so busy in life that we don't stop to look at the examples God's provided around us. And then look what he says. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? You know what he's saying? You know what, you know what he's saying without saying it? He goes, don't worry. I've provided examples if you forget. Look at the animals. Look at nature. I, he goes, I provide. You're more important than that. I'll provide for you. Do you know what he's not saying, but he is saying it? Trust. Trust me. Trust that I will take care of you. Trust. Trust will rout anxiety. And when I have trust in God that he's going to take care of me, I have joy because I'm like, it's okay. It's okay if worst case scenario happens to me. I have the joy of the Lord. I trust God. Here's what I can tell you about anxiety and trust. The greater your trust in God, the lower your anxiety. The greater your anxiety, the lower your trust in God. They're directly opposed. And so when I see people like, man, I'm, I mean, I'm struggling with anxiety, and I say, well, what are you doing? Well, you know, I'm taking, I'm taking this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. I'm like, that's great. You're taking care of the physical results of anxiety, but you're not taking care of the anxiety because as soon as you stop that stuff, anxiety is going to pop back up. And so you have to keep taking the pills. You have to keep sleeping with that pillow or I don't know, whatever people do to take care of anxiety, right? You have to keep doing it. But here's what I found. If I can grow my trust in God, if I can be humble before God, because 
if I'm humble before God, it says, God, I trust you with this. I humbly give this to you. I trust you. And when I start to get anxious, I'm going to look out the window and look at the robin or the cardinal, right, or whatever is out there. I'm going to say, wait, 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 time out. You fed that robin? (laughs) You already said I'm way more valuable than that. I'm just going to relax, and I'm going to trust you. You know how you gain your trust in God? You get, as Paul said, you humbly begin to walk with other people that are trusting God. It grows. You you become what you surround yourself with. Here, let me just give you a little insight psychologically to anxiety. Anxiety seeks to control. You say, well, I'm not trying to control anything. But in your mind, you are. Because you're trying to figure out all the scenarios and which scenario is going to play out and how you're going to survive that and how you're going to get the money for that and how you're going to talk to this person about this issue. And so you are essentially in your mind trying to control. I I love this. Um, Let go be happy. William Berry is a psychologist. He writes for Psychology Today. Listen to this. The use of control talking about trying to control things. The use of control is paradoxical. We believe taking control will bring us security and happiness, yet its overuse causes unhappiness, anxiety, and malaise. In the treatment of clients with addiction problems, depression, marital issues, anxiety, and anger issues, a common thread is control. This is coming from a guy who's, I don't know that he's even a Christian. He's a psychologist writing an article in Psychology Today. He said, the greater you try to control things, the greater the anxiety. He said, what did he say? He said, the most common thread of marital issues, depression, anxiety, anger issues is the need and the desire to control. Ooh. He goes on. The use of, um, I'm sorry, he goes on, he says, behavioral psychology purports that every behavior or action has a reward. That's, that's just biblical truth. In the case of worrying, the reward is to foresee a problem and take action. Unfortunately, worrying continues when no action is possible. Worry then becomes an attempt to control or a wish to control what is uncontrollable. You're in your mind trying to control all of these options and control all these things that you have no control over. Anxiety and worry give us an illusion of control. And let's be honest as human beings, is it control what we're all after? Hasn't that been the problem from the outset? Hasn't control been the problem from the outset? From the, from the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden, when the serpent tempts Eve, you could be like God. You could, know, you could know the difference between right and wrong. You could begin to think like God. You could become a God. Yeah. Right? Or from the Garden of Eden to the Tower of Babel, we're going to build this thing, and we're going to build this thing to the heavens, and we're going to become God. Control. To you name it. Go through the Bible. All the people trying to control things. Solomon tried to control all the nations around him by marrying all these women of all these other nations around him. And he says in Ecclesiastes, in the end, I just brought problems on myself. 
by having over 800 wives. All the men in here, you know, you just went through your mind right now. You went, oh my gosh. Like, how do I, I don't know. Oh, not only do I have 800 wives, I have 300 concubines that are just, you know, there for my own personal pleasure. Solomon had problems, okay? I mean, he was one of the wisest men to ever live, but somehow in his wisdom, he lacked wisdom in one area, right? And so we've always tried to control. This is why the Pharisees and the Sadducees had problems with Jesus being a teacher. They couldn't control him. Kill him then. That's our answer, kill him. The Roman Empire was like, we wash our hands of this. This is not even, this guy's fine. We wash our hands of this. It goes on and on and on. Us constantly trying to control. Anxiety says, I should be in control of this. I should be able to say something or I should be able to do the right thing. I should be. Anxiety is frustration at our ability to be God. Anxiety is frustration at our ability to play God. I'm trying to control it and I can't figure out how it's going to work and so I'm anxious. I got to be, be like God and I got to know the outcome and I got to figure out the outcome. God's like, you're not trusting me. No, I, I trust you. I just got to do, do this part. Because if I do my part, you'll do your, your part. Right? God helps those that helps themselves. I didn't put that in the Bible. Oh. Right? I mean, anxiety is our frustration at trying to be God. Here's what humility says. Humility says, I'm not in control. That's okay. I trust God. Humility is a weapon against anxiety. Because humility says, I trust Jesus. I trust the Holy Spirit's leading. I don't have to be in control of this situation. Am I frustrated? Am I concerned? Yes. Do I care? I'm not saying don't care. Yes, care. Be concerned. That's part of being human. But don't become worrisome and anxious. First Peter, last verse. First Peter 5, 6 through 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What's Peter connect? Peter, the one who walked with Jesus, who was in Jesus' inner three. He connects humility and anxiousness. He says, humbly walk before God so that with his mighty hand, right? He says, he says humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Now, oftentimes when we hear God's mighty hand, we think God's going to get you if you, whack, what's wrong with you? That's not what mighty hand means. His mighty hand means if you humble yourself before God, then his hand will reach down and his mighty hand is strong enough to pull you out of whatever you're going through. Mighty hand doesn't mean he's there ready to zap you and get you. If God wants to get you, he'll get you whenever he gets you. You're not going to stop it. His mighty hand means it's mighty enough to reach down and lift you up and pull you out of whatever you're going through. That was your amen moment. Some of you got it. Right? And so Peter directly connects humility and anxiety. Because if I'm being humble, I'm trusting. I'm trusting. But we don't always feel it. That's the issue. We don't always feel like it. Today, I don't feel like going to church today. 
I don't feel like going. I don't feel. Yes, Friday morning, there, were, there was laundry that needed to get done. I had 45 minutes to kill before I had to leave for an overnighter. I didn't feel like doing the laundry, but by golly, I felt like playing Madden. So I went upstairs, and I turned on the Xbox. Sorry, I'm an Xbox guy, not a PlayStation guy. And I turned on Madden, and for 45 minutes I played Madden, and the laundry sat there, and I left the house. It was going to be gone for 24 hours, and Lynn came home to laundry. She hasn't brought it up, but I know what she's thinking because I'm a good husband and I know my wife. You see, you cannot feel your way into believing. You believe your way into feeling. You cannot feel your way into believing. You believe your way into feeling. Examine your feelings. How are you feeling? Because I bet they're stemmed in what you believe about a situation. I bet it stems from how you view and believe a relationship to be. But if you change your belief, then you change your feelings. So this morning, I want to challenge you that if you don't, if you don't feel it, examine your heart and say, but do I believe? Am I believing what the word of God says so that my feelings will begin to change. We're not designed to be led by our feelings. We're designed to lead our feelings by what we believe. So this morning, let's stand up. I want to challenge you again to walk humbly with God. If you're you're here this morning, as the band comes out, if you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything, I I want to invite... Um, if Steve and Bonnie would come down here and if Jesse and Amy would come over here to, as a prayer team and pray with people, we'd appreciate it. And I'm just going to give you a few moments to examine your heart. Where are you? What's, what's going on in your life? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence here today. I thank you that as we examine our hearts, when we find the root of anxiety is actually spiritual. It's not not the physical things we do to reduce our anxiety. Anxiety is a spiritual problem that maybe we need to walk more humbly and stop trying to control everything. And maybe we just need to, to trust you and increase our trust in you and connect with people who are trusting you so that we can grow our trust in you grow our humility to serve one another and put other people first. And that, Lord, we'll not be anxious because we know that anxiousness is really just trying to, anxiousness is just really frustration in our attempt to be you and control everything. That's not our job. So we release it right now in the name of Jesus. If you're here this morning and anxiety is, is gripping your heart, I want you to go forward for prayer. Stop being frustrated and not having control and not knowing what to do. Trust your heavenly father. Walk in humility. Trust God. If you're here this morning and maybe you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, 
I want to invite you to come forward and accept Christ and accept Jesus and what he has for you. I'm just going to wait just a, a few more minutes. every head bowed, every eye closed, if you just bow your head and close your eyes and just self-examine yourself, your own heart. What are you struggling with? What needs to be given to God?